passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Episode 155 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA playoffs fights and even next season's futures and don't forget that major league baseball is back who are you picking to win the world series right now a subway series between the mets and yankees doesn't look too bad if you have an idea place your bet on bet online bet online is your continued surface for all your sports wagering needs including live betting and your favorite casino and poker games it's easy to get started head to the website use promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, promo code BELIEVE to get your 50% welcome bonus. Bet online where the game starts. With that said, episode 155 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Episode 155 for the love of the game with yours truly, Aaron Tobin has ATH back in the saddle, back behind the mic. We're playing a little hurt. We're playing a little hurt. As you can sound, my voice is not great. Had ourselves a weekend. Mazel tov to my guy Ari Pomper, friend of the program. Uh, got married this weekend, had a good time. So this is kind of like my Jordan flu game right now. We're playing a little under the weather, but just got to push through. Got to push through. A lot of good stuff to talk about. And let's just kick it off right now with the Rangers game one triple overtime loss. I mean, just as painful as it gets as a sports fan. They seem to have had so much juice in that first period. They were flying all over the place. Everything was going great, and they came out in the second period flat. Just they couldn't sustain the energy, and it was kind of like they shot their wad really early and couldn't quite get that gear again the rest of the game. I mean, Igor Shosturkin was great. Over 70 saves, triple overtime. Just what an absolute nutty game. And then in the third period, late in the third period, with about three and a half minutes left, he had Capo Caco rush the net, gets pushed in the back, hits the goalie for the Penguins. Uh, Heedle ends up scoring. That goal was overturned. 
I thought in real time that that goal was going to get overturned. I didn't think that was actually going to stand. But, yeah, just absolutely brutal to watch close to six hours of hockey and have your team lose in triple overtime. Now, now, do I think the Rangers win the series? I, I do. I, I know Pittsburgh's a little bit of a different beast in the playoffs than they are in the regular season. The Rangers handled them in the regular season. But I still like the Rangers' chances. But, man, that one really, really hurt. Really, really, really hurt hurt but let's go rangers gotta bounce back tough tough loss tough loss moving over to baseball for a second mets and yankees basically the two best teams in the league both teams are rolling the yankees have won 11 straight they've actually handled the blue jays so it's not just that they're beating up on the orioles and the tigers but just remember the yankees had a 13 game winning streak last year and the roller coaster was what it was last year so I'm still a little skeptical. I have my guard up, but they're playing really, really good baseball. They're pitching great. The lineup still leaves what to be desired. The Joey Gallo at-bats are terrible, generally. But 11 in a row is 11 in a row, head of the AL East by uh, a decent amount right now. So hopefully they keep it going. But, yeah, I, I still have my guard up about the Yankees, but it's hard not to feel good about them right now. A couple of NBA notes before we bring on tonight's guest. We're going to have a first-time guest and a recurring guest. I don't want to talk about the Milwaukee-Boston series at length. We'll talk about it with one of our guests tonight. But I know Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year. Drew Holiday is a better defensive player than Marcus Smart. He is. You see it in these first two games. Drew Holiday is an absolute menace. And I'm not saying Marcus Smart isn't awesome, but Drew Holiday is just more awesome. Going over to the Mavericks' Suns. I know Luka Doncic is great. I do. He's fantastic. He's absolutely fantastic. But Luka Ball is never going to win. You saw early in that game that the Mavericks just give him the ball at the top of the key. He holds it for eight, nine seconds before anybody does anything surveying. No one cuts, barely any screen set. And it's just that formula doesn't win. It doesn't win. James Harden never won playing that way. Now, Luka Doncic is better than James Harden ever was, even in James Harden's MVP year. But James Harden never won playing that way. Kobe Bryant never won playing that way. Michael Jordan never won playing that way. They need to empower the other players. It's not like they're completely bereft of other talent, right? Jalen Brunson showed you he can ball out. Now, he's having a bit of a tougher series going against Booker, who's made a huge step defensively, and Chris Paul. But empower him more. Do some more movement. Like, they just don't move. And, and I know he had huge numbers, 45 points, like, 12 and 9, like just huge numbers, shot the ball pretty well, but that formula is not going to win. And if they don't mix it up a little bit, I, I think Phoenix is going to win a pretty easy series, even if it goes six games. I don't think they're ever going to feel like they're in trouble in this series. So that's note A. Note B, speaking of James Harden, because you mentioned him in a little bit, I mean, he's just absolutely washed. He's absolutely washed. His first step is gone. The three-point shooting, he doesn't get any separation anymore. I mean, the NBA took away the way he cheats the game. He doesn't get the same foul calls anymore. Like, going to the rim, he's just throwing the ball up, hoping goes in. Now I get it. 
without Embiid, I can't really pin this all on Harden, but he's just not that dude anymore. Like at, at this point, without Embiid, Miami, which is a suffocating defensive team as it is, can score 95 points and win these games pretty easily. I don't trust anybody on Philadelphia to really get buckets. I mean, Maxie's their best option in terms of just scoring, and he's a second-year player. He's a young guy. Harden's just not that dude, and if you're Philadelphia, you cannot give him a max extension. You just can't. He's not worth that whatsoever. And lastly, Golden State, Memphis, which has been super, super entertaining. Two unbelievable games. Uh, John Morant is an absolute superstar, and he's taking it from superstar to super duper star. I mean, what an incredible performance by him last night. 47 points. Just awesome. Steph Curry didn't have a great three-point shooting game. But it's weird. This series is really going to be contingent on Jaron Jackson Jr. Because game one, he was sensational, even though Memphis lost. Game two, I mean, just just foul trouble, fouled out, didn't even play 30 minutes. and was terrible from the field. It's going to be interesting because they need him to be really good and most importantly be on the floor for them to have a chance because Desmond Bain's a little banged up. But if John Morant is going to just be the best player in the series, Memphis can easily win this series, even though they lost game one. Those are a couple of quick thoughts on the NBA. Before we get into tonight's guest, we're going to talk about the Boston-Milwaukee series. We're going to talk about a little NBA draft. Short monologue, playing a little under the weather, but we do what we got to do. With that said, let's bring on our first guest in just a matter of moments. This episode of the For the Love of the Game show on the Bleep podcast is brought to you by Auto Approve. Auto Approve is an online service that makes vehicle refinancing easier and faster. Auto Approve connects vehicle owners with a network of top credit unions, banks, and finance companies to find the best available interest rates. That helps you handle the paperwork, simplifying the vehicle refinancing process from the beginning to end and putting money back in your wallet. Take your tag light to the next level with more money in your pocket. Not only will you save thousands on your auto loan with working with Auto Approve, but for all listeners that refinance through Auto Approve, they will send you $100 cash to your mailbox. That's right. They'll not only help you lower your monthly payment, but if you use Auto Approve promo code slash believe, they'll send you $100 back cash back. To find out how much you can save and claim your $100 cash back again, go to autoapprove.com slash believe. Autoapprove. Save money on your car loan. Okay, as I mentioned in the monologue, I am have the pleasure of welcoming on a first-time guest, somebody who's, again, part of the Believe podcast family. It is a real pleasure to have him on, considering uh, he's helped me out uh, with a bunch of different things when it comes to my own show on the network. Josh Fisher. Josh, how are we doing? Good, man. I'm doing fantastic. It's a good day. So... I wanted to have you on for a couple of reasons. One, you're a Celtics fan, so I wanted to talk about the Celtics-Bucks series because I think that's the most interesting of all the second-round series in the NBA playoffs. But you make your bones on the NFL draft. You say you're, you know, you're a draft expert. I just wanted to ask you a high-level question about the draft. Yeah, go. So Jimmy Johnson, back in the late 80s, early 90s, basically created the modern-day formula for the NFL draft, right? Each pick has a value. There are certain premium positions and whatnot. Yeah. And basically most teams go off that model. 
It's how he built the Cowboys into a dynasty with the Herschel Walker trade and all that. All these teams go off that model now, right? Mm. So it basically slots in premium positions like quarterback, defensive end and pass rusher, offensive tackle, and corner, right? Those are basically your premier positions that, because of the value of the contracts, have to go within the first five to ten picks, generally, yeah. if they're worth it, right? That's why we've seen teams trade up for quarterbacks traditionally, even if those quarterbacks aren't necessarily top 10 grades, they'll move up into those positions to take them. My question to you is, is this model becoming outdated? Yeah, completely. I mean, look at the, the way, first of all, look at the premium on wide receivers. Back in the day, it was quarterback. Look who went first in these drafts, even from when I was younger growing up. I mean, let's just take it back to 04 was Eli Manning. 05 is Alex Smith, quarterback, quarterback. You get Mario Williams, right? Defensive end in 06. 07, you know, you have Jamarcus Russell. You have a wide receiver go second, but that's Calvin Johnson. So right. Megatron is a biblical receiver. And then you have Joe Thomas, obviously, the offensive tackle. And then, you know, it goes on for like defensive player, defensive player, like in, in the running backs, even. Now it's completely changed because of the way the quarterback position's played with more speed more rolling out where the wide receiver, you know, offensive tackles like the Bengals had a very fluid offensive line, very porous offensive line. And they, and they went and they passed on Panay Sewell at five and went with Jamar Chase. And right. Like, you know, obviously it's his guy. Jamar Chase is the best receiver, which he was. And it's true. He is his guy, but you pass on a guy like Panay Sewell, who is a premier talent, premier offensive tackle will be in the league for a long time, barring he doesn't get hurt. And you don't have a good offensive line yet. They go to the, they win the AFC and they go to the Super Bowl. Receiver has become a premier position, but it's become a position almost similar to quarterback, where it's the second highest paid position. You can move a receiver once you're done with them because they are expendable because there's so many of them. They're not expendable because of their shelf life. Like a running back is expendable because of his shelf life. A receiver is expendable because you're the Titans. You have A.J. Brown. All right. I don't have to pay A.J. Brown. I can pay the offensive and defensive lines. I can pay the defense. I can pay the cornerback position, which is something that, you know, a cornerback position is very tough to gauge. That's a lot. There's a lot of hit or miss in the cornerback position in the first, first and second round. Look at the New England Patriots who were heralded as, quote, unquote, the draft gurus. Look at all the cornerbacks they've missed on in the second round. Duke Dawson, Silas Jones, uh, Juwan Williams. Like, they miss all the time on cornerbacks. But, you know, they did go and spend that big money on Stephon Gilmore, and that worked, and they used their money in that capacity. Right. Now, I think that the, that model is, the battle is very outdated. The money system's different. The fifth-year quarterback makes the quarterback so valuable, whereas, you know, we all thought when the Lions to go trade up to get Jamison Williams, they thought it was Malik Willis. That's where people's heads were at. We're, you know, it's, it's very funny to watch people's mock drafts, the media's mock drafts, and then see what actually goes down in the draft. Because once, once we get to the second round, then that's when you're going to get your, like, you need starters in the second round. You can't take a backup quarterback or a project quarterback. If you're not going to take them in the first round, you might as well wait to the third, unless you absolutely love the kid. Right. And I mean, just the the NFL readiness of these wide receivers coming into college is better than it's ever been, right? Like you have guys, I mean, look at Jameson Williams, for example, who was, if he didn't tear his ACL, right? Not only would Alabama probably have won the national title, but he probably would have been the first wide receiver taken. And 
he was originally at Ohio State with uh, Garrett Wilson and um, oh, who's the guy the Saints took? The other Olave, Olave. He was in the same wide receiver room, and he was like, "I'm not good enough to get on the field, so I'm going to transfer to Alabama." So the position is crazy. I, and and this year was a little different because it was a weak quarterback draft, right? Like mm-hmm. last year you saw guys trading up to go get their guy. I mean, the New England Patriots who never trade up, trade up to take Mac Jones. But my the biggest thing to me was with the Giants. Now, now the Giants drafted um uh Thibodeau who had a couple of weird red flags. I mean, most of the year, he was the number one pick overall. Now, I'm not saying that the Giants shouldn't have taken Kayvon Thibodeau there because premier pass rusher is still in an extremely important position. But a guy like um, the safety out of Notre Dame, I'm, I'm forgetting his name. Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton, right? Kyle Hamilton was widely regarded as one of the six or seven best prospects, right? But safety, quote unquote, isn't a premier position. My question is especially in a passing league now, why doesn't Kyle Hamilton go before 14? It just doesn't make sense to me. Because it's a passing league and you want to get to the quarterback and the way you want to, you don't want the ball in the air. You want, you don't, you want the goal is you just sack the quarterback doing a pass play. Right. The goal with the number one, you could pick him off. Great. But when they drop back to pass, your number one goal is get the quarterback, sack the quarterback. So you go and you get, the best player in the draft, which everyone completely overthought because he was the best player in the draft. I forget who said it. I maybe it was one of our one of our guys and believe that said it. Uh, I think it actually was because everyone over always overthinks these Oregon guys, man. Everyone always overthinks the Oregon guys for some reason. Like I bring up an ASOL who went seventh. I bring up and that's a good draft class, but I bring up Justin Herbert, who was a third quarterback taken. You know, well, you look and, at Marcus Mariota, who never really panned out. You look at Joey Harrington, who never really panned out. So it's like, yeah, I mean, that's a look again. Like, yeah, that's hundred percent true. I'm saying as of late, and Mariota, quite frankly, similar to RG three, these those guys don't pan out because they get hurt. Mariota's gonna get another another opportunity to start. You know, but those guys, you know, injuries injuries are major. The best ability, best ability is availability. I I do think though that Jamison Williams leaves Ohio state because of what he sees going on in Alabama. Those guys getting, putting up those kinds of numbers and getting drafted that high. Also, I think Jamison Williams would have been in the conversation for the top pick overall, because again, they took Trevor Lawrence last year and we see what, how important a receiver is. Uh, if he didn't tear his ACL, he wouldn't have gotten it, but he would have been in the conversation, but the giants completely won the draft in the right. first round. They won it automatically because you can get, if both those guys pan out to what they're supposed to be, you can have the two best players in the draft. I, I just, I, I guess, and again, Thibodeau is, is a top prospect, so it's not like it's reaching there. Uh, my, my point is, it's just, I don't understand why guys reach for premier positions when you have these guys who are widely regarded as like the, you know, some of the best players in the draft and they just slide down purely because of the position they play. It's like if Ed Reed was coming into the draft, you're telling me that like, you're not going to take Ed Reed in the top five. I feel like it's crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, you take Ed Reed in the top five hindsight, 2020. I mean, just safety. Ed Reed didn't go in the top five. Safety is just like a position right. that never like Eric Berry went in the top five. You went fifth. Eric, yeah. Eric Berry is great, you know, but safety is just not a position that typically goes there because again, 
you'd rather have a lockdown corner than a great safety, you know? So do you think, right. So do you think the jets with that logic, obviously, because you want, when the guy drops back to pass, you want to get him on the ground. Do you think the jets are going to regret taking sauce Gardner for no, over Thibodeau? no, I don't think so. Cause the jets have Quinn and Williams. I mean, we'll see what happens with Carl Lawson, but they made that signing last year, you know, th- they don't have any semblance of a cornerback. They needed a corner badly. And Sauce Gardner, like, look, if you're the Jets, you go, okay, when were when was our team the best? We had Darrell Revis. Right. You had Darrell Revis, like he was the best corner in the league. I'm not saying Sauce Gardner is going to be that. Like the Patriots won the Super Bowl when they had Gilmore. They won the Super Bowl when they had Revis. Like having a lockdown corner is so important. And a guy like Sauce Gardner, who's long, athletic, can make plays in the ball, like you can't pass that up. I don't think he's the best corner in the draft. I think it's Stingley Jr. And it was right that Stingley Jr. went third overall. Another guy who people are like, oh, he gets hurt. Derek Stingley Jr.'s freshman year at LSU was, I mean, some of the best cornerback play in college football we've ever seen. So him going, but he went third. Like, I'm not saying Kyle Hamilton's going to be, you know, worse than these guys, but finding a lockdown corner is a lot tougher. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I just, I find that the way the NFL media talks about at large talks about the draft and that they still use that same model as like almost gospel to me is it's just, it's just a, you know, old way of thinking that you can find if you're a GM that thinks outside the box a little bit, you can find such gems and take advantage of teams just being married to a, to a system that that I don't think is you know the gospel anymore. I just don't think that that's the way you have to do it anymore. It's just interesting. I just wanted to ask you about the draft. So you're a Celtics fan. The reason I yeah, wanted to have you on is because the Celtics Bucks. I think the winner of this series, I think, is going to go to the NBA Finals. To me, it's the most interesting series in the second round. Uh, we had the Bucks come out and physically dominate the Celtics in Game One with a with a double digit win, and then you had the Celtics who came out like gangbusters from three. You know, in an interesting game where it looked like the Celtics may have like blown the lead if they played four and a half quarters. But just because of the way the game was, it was just a little bit too late. So where are you at with your confidence in the Celtics winning these games? Winning the win series, games. I should say. You got to win game three. I don't care if you lose game four. You got to win game three. You don't want to be consistently playing from, from behind against the team that just won the NBA championship. There was also way too much hype. You great. You you swept the Nets who were in the playing game. You swept the Nets who one game KD dropped 55 and Kyrie dropped 33 and they lost. They are not a complete basketball team. They right. traded James Harden for Curry, fine, Drummond over the hill and and Ben Simmons who never played. Even if Harden is, you know, regressed and he's not what he used to be. He's still a very valuable player. And had the Nets had James Harden, the series, they would not have been swept. And we all know that. The Bucks lose Middleton. It's the same thing as like we've seen it time and time again. Like, you know, I feel like we saw like the Bulls and like the, and, and, oh, they've Clyde Drexler and the Blazers, you know, and they overlook, you know, Jordan and, 
there's certain at certain situations where you know like Carmelo, oh Carmelo wins the MVP, and like you forget that it's Michael Jordan, and like oh Chris Middleton's out, and all of a sudden we forget that they have Giannis. They have when you have the best player, and he is in the world on your team, you always have a chance. You should. They, my buddy was like, they, we might sweep them. They may get one game, and they came out and they played our brand of basketball that we played against the Nets. And they were better at us, better at it than us in game one. Like they out physical us in game one. Like Wes Matthews was Wes Matthews of old in game one. You forget that Drew Holiday, he's not an all-star, but he's a top-tier defensive player and a top-tier point guard. Go around the league. How many teams is he the starting point guard on? I would 20. Yeah, he's awesome. He should have been an all-star this year. Exactly. He's like always, he's a friend. He's a, he's a, he's been an all-star. He's a consistent fringe all-star. Like he's, he's not an all-star for, it's not his fault. He's an, it's not his personal fault that he's not an all-star. It's the fault that there's so many good guys in the league. Yeah. He can't be like, he's not going to be in, he's not going to be an all-star over Trey young who the, the end of the day, like as much as we love to pretend that we all love defense points are the most important stat that people look at. And Trey young is an absolute bucket and just rains from anywhere on the court and they want to promote Atlanta basketball, and, and he deserves to be an all-star trade on. But then you go to Darius Garland, a young guy who was fantastic this year, and they basketball always plays to the youth, and they always will try to play to that point of like, okay, what's, what can we do to make the Cavs elevate? Like the Bucks already have Giannis. They've already won the championship. Like they're going to always give the edge to the younger guy, I feel. So let me ask you that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. To try, when it becomes the French All-Stars, when it comes to guys who are grandfathered in like Jimmy Butler, like Jimmy Butler can play the least amount of games needed to be an All-Star and still make the All-Star team. Right. And they also had the number one seed, which matters. I mean, they're but, but let me, so I guess going into this series, mm-hmm. did were you confident in the Celtics winning the series? Like where was your head at as a Celtics fan? Yeah, cautiously confident. I mean, look, like this is it. Like this is it. Like you... People are like, the Celtics need to go get Bradley Beal. They need to go get, like, this guy. They need to go get that guy. Like, you know, you don't – I mean, it would be nice, but you don't necessarily need to do that because the name of the game is this. What they need, what we need as Celtics, as, you know, Celtics fans and the Celtics team, the whole goal throughout the last four or five years is you've needed Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to develop and be those guys so you don't have to go get those guys. That's the point. That's why you draft them. If you draft a guy in the top five – He's supposed to be a superstar. We have this debate on our show that if you're drafted in the top six, you should not be up for most improved player at any point because right, you're supposed to be that guy. Like John Morant has great, amazing leap, but you draft him because he's supposed to make that leap. And he was really good last year, so most improved player doesn't make any sense to be give there. To but yeah, I agree like, with you. Give it to a guy like give it to Dejounte Murray if you really want to give it to you know he's picked at the end of the first round. Like he's been Bane, Jordan Poole, Maxi. Retweet, 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 like all across the board. Give it to the guys picked outside the lottery. Give it. I'd rather give it to Jared Vanderbilt for Christ's sake. Picking the second round was great for the Wolves this year. Like if you're picked in the top five, you're supposed to be a superstar. So people are like, oh, like, does this like Tatum is this is what Tatum was supposed to be. This is what Jalen Brown was supposed to be. So if you're the Celtics, like your hope is that they go into this series and that they take this next step like they did with the Nets. Right. What do you what do you see from them defensively 
uh, with Giannis right now because, you know, Giannis had a dominant game one but didn't hasn't shot the ball well yet, right? He's shooting under 40%. Game two, it looked like he was rushing in the first quarter. I mean, some of the shot attempts were a little weird. He hasn't really made his jump shot yet. I mean, he did have a stretch in the third quarter where he went bonkers and scored, I think, 18 points in the third quarter. But what are you seeing them defensively uh, that they're doing with Giannis to make things a little bit difficult for him? Well, here's we figured out the issue with the Bucks without Middleton. They're gonna have a way tough when you, the the only Achilles heel, and the reason that Chris Middleton's so valuable, Giannis can't shoot you back in the game. Right. He he could try to bully ball you back in the game and drive you back in the game because again, he's so brutal to defend. But what the beauty about the Celtics is is we have Rob Will, who's a tough defender, very great defender, one of the best shot blockers in the league, very tough in the middle. Then you have Al Horford, you have Daniel Tice. So there's a bevy of bodies. And they look, they have Brooke Lopez, who's done a better job of being low, but Brooke Lopez is not, a, for his size, is not that great in, in, the, in the low game. You know, he's and not he like got a, in foul trouble in terms yeah, of, yeah. and it hurt them defensively. He's older and he, look, he had a great game one, blocked a lot of shots. Game was, was a major presence in the paint in game one. Brooke Lopez gave us a lot of trouble in the paint. But Brooke Lopez, by and large, for a seven footer, is not, is not a great rebounder. He's not a great presence down there. So it's really Giannis is their big man. We all know that. We have three different big men we can continuously throw at Giannis when he goes to the paint. So if one of them does get in foul trouble, the other one just comes right in. And they're not, he, if your best player, is Giannis, he's not going to be able to shoot you back in the game. So they were down, like they came back and they made it an effort. But when they were down 65-40 at the half, I was like, this is over. There's nobody right. on this team. Like Pat Connaughton can hit a three, but he's not going to shoot you back in the game. Grayson right. Allen can hit a three. Drew Holiday can Drew Holiday can hit, but they're not going to shoot you back. I mean, the guy that you need to hit you, to shoot you back in the game is out this series. Not it's funny, all the, all, of all the guys you said to guard Giannis, you, you glossed over the guy who's actually done the best job, and that's been Grant Williams. Grant Williams has been incredible on Giannis, especially in game two. He was awesome as like the initial point of attack defender on Giannis. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it interesting, though, that – so Milwaukee, in terms of their style of defense, right, They'll they're willing to give up three-point shots. They're not willing to give up points in the paint. They're willing to give up three-point shots. They're give, they're willing to give up long twos, but you're not getting buckets around the rim. The Celtics did not shoot the ball well in game one from three. You know, Peyton Pritchard was bad. Derek White was bad. Marcus Smart was not particularly good. Uh, game two, Jalen Brown comes out like gangbusters, right? Goes absolutely crazy. He has 27 points in the first half. I think he shot like eight for 10 from the field and made like five threes, right? But then in the second half, they stopped making threes. Now, is this just a case of, are the Celtics like just going to be relying on the three the entire time and it's a make or miss thing for them? Or, you know, does that give you pause going forward in the series? Or are you just like, are they, can they do something else to get easier shots closer to the basket? Um, well, first, yes, let's shout out Grant Williams, who did a great job in the point of attacking Giannis and had an amazing game too deep, just scoring the basketball. And it's a good lesson that, you know what, these guys, these upperclassmen in college may not be like these premier players, but they are really, if they're really good in college as an upperclassman and they carry those tools to get at the next level, like shooting, they're good and savvy defensively, like Grant Williams is. It's worth having them on their roster and giving them time to, you know, to metastasize as players. The- and they generally get drafted by good teams, so they contribute, and they're on 
you know, smaller contracts. So they're exceedingly, exceedingly valuable. Like see like Desmond Bain from Memphis. It's the same thing. I mean, everyone and their mother passing him literally. I mean, I was like, why did we, I wanted him. So I think you know, I'm not, maybe we drafted and traded his rights. I don't even know what happened there, but he was so valuable and I wanted him so badly. And cause he's just a great shooter. Same reason I wanted to like, I mean, I'm still holding out hope for Neesmith. I never liked the Langford pick. I, I think, you know, I would love for Neesmith to really develop and be what he's supposed to be as a shooter. I'm willing to give him time, but Grant Williams developed into a great shooter, you know, in the corner. Um, Dorian Finney-Smith in the Mavs, you go look over there, Peyton Pritchard. I think to get points, it's a, I, don't, I do not like living and dying by the three to answer your question. I really, that gives me, that does give me pause. It makes me a little nervous, but if buckets are tough inside, like, you know, it's like in football, you know, you, you get the run going to open up the play action. Like you get the, you get the three ball going to open up the inside. Cause in the second is that we, because once the three started falling, we were able to get to the paint a lot easier because they have to bring guys to the outside and step up on us. Marcus smart is so valuable and we need him, but his touches got moved around and the other guys capitalized on that. Grant Williams, if Marcus smart is in the game, Peyton Pritchard, if Marcus smart is in the game, we're not shooting the ball as much as they did. And right. granted, this time they those shots fell, and that was huge for us. I mean, Jalen Brown needs to do that. If the Celtics want to win a championship, not exactly like come out like that every game where he's going 17 in the first quarter, but Jalen Brown needs to be a 25-plus per game score if the Celtics want to win the championship, or they're not going to do it. If Jalen and Jason combine for 25-plus each game, I'm confident that our defense – and our supplementary pieces offensively would contribute enough that we can win these games. I do not want to, I know you said that you would think the winner of this series is going to, uh, is going to win the, the NBA, go to the NBA championship. And I'd like to think that, but the Miami heat are tough, man. The Miami heat are very complete and very, very well-developed and deep basketball team. Yeah. Deep. The only thing with the heat is, is if you go heads up and you believe in the old adage that the best player in the series generally wins the series you know, both Boston and Miami kind of have the Heat beat in that respect. I th- I would like to think that Tatum is better than Butler, but if you're going to go, that's more of a toss up. Brett is Bam and Bam's like not Bam's probably better than Jalen Brown. Probably more valuable than Jalen Brown. I, I'd agree with that. So I'd agree have, with that. They, they they have the first best player by a hair, or or one A one B, and then they have the second best player. We're the third best player for sure. And then we have the fourth. I mean, Miami is N, like, like the Heat can shoot their way back into that game. They have and they guys. haven't shot it well recently. Like Duncan, Duncan it, Robinson's got bench, bro. Yeah. And Caleb Martin's been cold. Like Gabe Vincent and Struess have been cold. I mean, we'll see what happens with them tonight in game two. I mean, I don't think the Heat have to score more than 95 points to beat the Sixers in these games without Embiid. But I wanted to ask you a quick question on on Tatum, right? So Tatum has that, you know, great all-around series against the Nets in the first round. Yeah. Uh, Just, you know, really shows up Durant, like just beat him in every which way, heads up. So far this series, like he he had stretches in game two where he looked like the guy from, you know, round one. But... It, it, it's been a little bit more of a struggle. Uh, what do you see from Tatum in terms of uh, this series going forward? How, what kind of adjustments he he can make a little bit? I think Tatum just he. I mean, he had he finished. He closed well, and you know, he didn't have a great first game in the last series. 
memory serves me correctly, one of the games he was off at least. Was but it was all the other things too with him. It was it was the floor game. It was the defensive end. It was all yeah, that kind of stuff. The, 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 look, man, like everyone, like not everyone's going to be perfect every single night. Some guys have. I mean, there's certain guys like Jokic and Giannis who just are, and Tatum is not in that tier. He's just right. not. The thing with Tatum, though, he's still very young. And the thing that he does well is play your game. The other day, he, yes, last night, he's driving, he's working one on one on the defender, and he goes to the basket, pulls up, misses the shot. Jalen Brown's Jalen, who's hot that night, last night, is wide open in the wing. My buddy's like, why? Why is, because logically, we see it. He's, you know, he's not looking that way, he's looking to play his game. He needs to, he knows that if they want to close this thing out, not only this game, but this series, he needs to get going. He needs to get in a rhythm. He needs himself the most. Look, like I said, Jalen Brown needs to score 25 plus. Jason Tatum for the Celtics to really, really win it all. The most important thing is that he's consistent and in rhythm. And so whatever he needs to do to get there, that's it. And so what I would say for Jason Tatum, he knows his game better than anybody. He could score at every level. He's a very good defender. He's, a, he's proven this season that he's a very good facilitator. If there is one facet of his game that he isn't flowing that night, can pepper it. If his shot isn't falling and he's not shooting the ball well, I don't have – But we're and we're in this game still. If we're down eight to Milwaukee and he's had a bad game going in the fourth quarter, you don't move away from Jason Tatum. You don't go, oh, Jay, you know, you're off tonight, you know, d- just chill and, you know – Succeed to like Jalen and Marcus. No, you need Jason. T- if you're going to win that game, it's going to be because of Jason, most likely. So you need right. Jason Tatum to kind of continue to let that shot fall and continue to find his spots and go to the rim. Attack. He's your big six ten. He's not a little guy. Yeah. Go to the rim. Draw. Get get them in foul trouble. Change the way they play defense. So yeah, I, yeah. I and mean, that's what I would say to Jason. If, if things aren't flowing and falling for him, keep letting it pour. My biggest thing with Tatum is is when he dances with the ball too much, it it bogs down everything. Like when he makes quick decisions, you know, dribble, pass, shoot, quick decisions, and he's not yo-yoing so much, it, it looks a lot better. It looks a lot better. I just want him to be super decisive, whether it's, you know, the shot or the pass, whatnot, just be decisive, go quick, no extra movements, right? You don't, you don't need to do all the dancing sometimes, just go. So I guess before I let you go, because I, I know you're running a little short on time, and I definitely appreciate you having you on, um, how do you see the series playing out? I, it's going, I, I think this, we say all the time, oh, it's going to seven games. I think this one's going to seven games. And the victor will be? I'll say us, because we're going we're gonna to be at home in the last game. This that's it, but that's it, man. Like if you're Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and the Boston Celtics, and you've by the way have been to three, these guys have already been to three some conference championships. Right. They should have they they were the favorite in the bubble and probably should have won that series. They fell short and gone to at least the finals against LeBron. If you are a superstar, if you really are that team that taking the next level, you win that game seven at home. That's it. I got Milwaukee in six. Um, I just don't trust, I just don't trust Boston's three point shooting enough. And I think the, um, and I'm not sure Jalen Brown, given his hamstring is going to be able to 
Now, I know I don't think he's going to replicate game two again anyway, but, you know, I don't think he he's somewhere in between game one and game two. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm just not sure that that's enough. And I'm not sure that they have enough three point shooters to do it. And eventually you're going to get the 45 point Giannis game. 100%. Uh, that's going to happen. And if that, again, as long as that happens in game four, that happens in game four. Right. At the end of the day, like in the playoffs, Tatum's going for, you know, 28. And J- look at Jalen's last 10 games, not the last game, but before the last game. 10 games up. Look how he closed the season. Look how look how Jalen closed the season. Not Jason, who Jason is always on a consistent basis, one of the best second half players in basketball since in the last couple of years. Jalen to close out, and he was bad in game one against the very Marcos. bad. Very bad. And he did not shoot the three that well against the Nets. But every game, 23, 22, 23, 22, he was there. And if you go his last 10 games. Dating back, if you go to the Warriors, 26, 30, 30, 25, 26, 31, 28, 32, 32, 25. Like 10 games to close out the year. Yep. Jaylen, He's the swing piece. The swing piece. That's it. It's going to be interesting because these two teams, I think, well, I guess the Heat, but they play really good defense. Both of these teams play really good defense. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. I'm definitely excited to see how this one plays out. Josh, this was great. Before we let you go. Tell everybody where they can find you. Tell everybody what you're up to. Give, uh, give a quick yeah. plug. We do the charity stripe. Go follow us on Instagram. But more importantly, keep listening to our boy, Aaron. He does a great job. We appreciate you. Uh, thanks for having me on, man. We'll talk during the game. We'll, we'll, we'll hit a, hit me up during the game. We'll, we'll Absolutely. We'll do. And, uh, yeah, hopefully next time we have you on, I don't sound like absolute horse crap. But uh, yeah, you, you sound good, man. I thought you, for a guy who's you know been sick and had a good bachelor weekend, I think you, you sound pretty good. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for doing it. We'll speak soon, and uh, we'll see what happens in game. Uh, no, game three is not till Saturday. Is that when we? I thought. It was, yeah, that's thought when. It was that's when the series tips off again. So we'll. Uh, wow. That's yeah, crazy. the listeners can get can get to marinate on this one a little bit and see what's up. Yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate a- you. Absolutely. Have a great rest of the day. Speak to you. Take care. Bye. Okay, so for the second guest on tonight's episode, we are going with somebody who's been on. Multiple, multiple times. One of the smartest football guys I know. Somebody who I had the pleasure of getting after with this weekend. Recurring guest, just to talk about the draft for the local team, specifically the Giants. Mr. Shai Elberger is back. I hope he's doing well and and recovering from this weekend. Shai, what's good, man? Oh, man. What a weekend. That that was fun. It was um, it was a good I, ass time, and I still don't have a voice. I I still don't have calves in either leg, and um, I will say, on behalf of myself as a thirty four year old, very proud of my effort. Three nights in a row, up very late, drinking every night, drinking during the day, getting sunburned, no naps. I thought I thought I handled myself well. And I was proud of my effort. It, it's a good effort, it, but it goes to show you that your calves still hurt, that we got to get you back on the workout grind. Like it's time. It's time. Because if we're going to, if we're going to play a little ball at a friend of the program, Naftali Shus's house over the summer, over the weekends, um, you got to start doing something. Yeah. I, um, 
or kind of take it the other way and just say, you know, the, uh, the movement life is not for me. Uh, I would not do that. I would not do that if I were you, but anyway, so, um, the draft, right. I, I, we spoke about this a little bit over the weekend, but I just wanted to ask you about your draft philosophy as somebody who's very into the draft who somebody who follows the draft pretty well. Where do you draw the line between drafting premium positions in high spots and taking the best player available? I, I think I draw the line at premium picks should go to premium positions. And I may not have always thought this. I, I fully admit I was on board for Saquon. I was excited for Saquon on the, at the second pick. I always kind of thought in the back of my head, or, or I guess maybe now it's, it's kind of a, you know, a fallback, like, well, the GM has to make a smarter decision than the, than, than the fan does. But I, I do think when you just, there is positional value matters. And you have to think about what positions get in free agency, what they get paid, how vital are they to your team? You know, you're not going to take an inside linebacker with a top five pick. You're not going to take a running back with a top five pick. I include safety in that category. The premium positions are quarterback, tackle, and cornerback, and pass rusher. And until the NFL changes into somehow, you know, a run-heavy league, that's what it's going to be as a pass-heavy league. Those are the positions you need to have top-tier talent, and those are the positions that get paid a shitload in free agency. We are well, now seeing wide receivers. Wide receivers. Right. So uh, we are now seeing wide receivers get top of the market money. And I think we have kind of seen a little bit recently, and we may continue to see receivers going top five, top 10 easily, uh, especially now with what they're getting paid in free agency. You lock in five years at a now below market rate. Uh, obviously, the receivers end up now after year three, either demanding uh, you know, a huge contract or getting traded. Uh, but we, I think we will see receivers, which makes sense in a passing league, um, you know, start to go at the top of the draft, which isn't a new thing. You know, even, you know, Julio Jones, AJ Green, they were high picks. Uh, Sammy Watkins, very high pick. Calvin um, Johnson. But Calvin Johnson, even last year, you know, Jalen Waddell, um, Devontae Smith, 110. Uh, Jamar Chase, right. So, I, I mean, we have been seeing it. So they're just, it's almost like you can kind of see the other positions like, Kyle Pitts went four to Atlanta. Kyle Pitts might end up being three years from now the best tight end in the NFL. I would be pretty surprised if Kyle Pitts puts the Falcons into contender territory. It's just not a position that matters so much. And you could point to, sure, what about Travis Kelsey? He's great. And the Chiefs are really good. And he's a vital part of their offense. But what round was Travis Kelsey drafted in? I, I, it was, was third, fourth? It's Something just, like that, fourth round, I think. It, it, it's just a tight end, a running back, an interior lineman, an interior defensive lineman, a linebacker, and a safety. To me, I would not use those picks. Um, and especially for the Giants, which we'll get into, they were lacking at every position, but especially the premier positions. So I know, and again, we'll, we'll probably touch on it, you know, Kyle Hamilton, the safety, Maybe he's, he'll be really good. You know, he could be a pro bowler. But the Giants had needs at 
more important positions. Uh, and so I would not have really understood them taking a safety in, at five or seven. So, okay, just about the Saquon thing, right? When we were both on board, it was because we didn't think that there was a quarterback for them who was worth taking at the second overall pick, right? They were going to take Sam Darnold, too, if they didn't take Saquon because they weren't going to trade back, right? They weren't trading back for Quentin Nelson that year. And we right. both didn't really think right. Bradley Chubb was all that good, and he's not, right? So it was yeah, either going to be correct. Saquon or Sam Darnold. And yeah, we or right. Rosen. And Josh Rosen, okay, fine. It wasn't going to be Josh Allen, and odds are if they would have taken Josh Allen, it wouldn't have worked out. But Saquon, I feel vindicated in this because Saquon was great, right, when he was healthy. He just didn't stay healthy, which is a problem. Now, this year, this year, obviously, there was a defensive end that fell to them that was worthy of a top five pick based on his pedigree, right, based on his draft grade. But had there not have been a pick you know, or a draft pick at the defensive end position that was worthy of that selection, right? Say Trayvon Walker, right? Who, who, if the Jaguars didn't take it one, probably easily could have fell to like 10, 11. If the, if the Giants were faced with that position, they were going to get a tackle and they got the tackle, Evan Neal at seven. But if they took the tackle at five, would you have been upset if they would have taken Kyle Hamilton, who was widely regarded as one of the four or five best players in the draft at seven? Yes. Um, if they had taken Evan Neal at five and say the Panthers or another team traded up for Thibodeau at six. Oh, I'm assuming um, Thibodeau I, was off the board. Right. So, um, that would have probably been worst case scenario because I don't think they would have doubled up on linemen at five and seven. I, um, I, this is not really to your point. I didn't really hadn't seen any reported interest between the giants and Hamilton. So I don't even know if they, you know, had him so highly regarded. I am curious and we'll never know, obviously what would have happened. Maybe they would have taken a trade offer at seven, maybe I thought this was actually a dark horse possibility, but I could see a receiver going at seven. Uh, they ended up taking one in the second round, obviously. Um, I don't think they would have taken a safety uh, at seven. They, uh, uh, the Giants already have Xavier McKinney, who I believe is, a, is an ascending player who I, I think has a very high ceiling. Um, I like him that effect. Does that mean you don't take a safety now because you already have one? I mean, they let Logan Ryan go and they paid him $10 million to not be on the team, uh, which is a move I frankly still don't really understand. Um, I would have been surprised had they taken Kyle Hamilton at seven. Um, I think that scenario, to Shane's credit, is why they did it the way they did it. You lock in Thibodeau at five. You know that Neil or Aquanu are going to be there at seven. And obviously right. that's the way it played out. And that's what made it's, it's funny because I thought they were going to go Neil at five. And so when they announced Thibodeau, I was surprised. And then you think about it for a second, you're like, okay, this makes perfect sense. They, they, and Shane admitted this as much after the fact they had Neil and Aquanu basically rated side by side. 
and it probably didn't matter to them which of those two they got. Um, so, you know, at a high level, even though it seems pretty logical, give kudos to Shane for doing it that way. God knows what Gettleman would have done there, uh, not realizing the situation and um, probably would have taken Brees Hall at five. Yeah, I, I just, again, I, I think after everything said and done and all the stuff I read and, and listened to, I, I think it worked out in the Giants' favor. My only point is, is if you don't like the defensive end that much, right, and you get one of your premier positions, considering you have two top 10 picks, you got one of them already, I think you can get creative, you know, and, and take a luxury if he's the best player available. Because if, you already if, locked in a, yeah. a premier position. And if he was the best player available, right. sure. Uh, I don't think they viewed it that way. That may have been the case. I, I just I, I don't understand why teams, if it's not even that close, right? That some teams will still reach for a guy at a premier position because he's supposed to go there as opposed to taking the best player available. I think that's where teams get in trouble and, you know, teams that kind of go the other way take advantage of market, um, you know, inefficiencies. Yes. Um, but there is a counterpoint to that, which is, so let's say the giants have this need at safety. So they don't really, you know, love Kyle Hamilton, but the way it's playing out, they need a safety, so they're going to take him at seven when really he should have gone 15 to 20. That's where I think teams get in trouble. Now you're saying if he's the best player available, do you specifically not take him because he's a safety? I think when you're going by best player available, the position has to factor in. Like Saquon could have been the best player in the draft but I still wouldn't want to rank him as the second best player available on my draft board that I'm going to religiously follow. I would knock him down for being a running back, which obviously Gettleman did not. Um, but I don't know. Like also we have to understand like the consensus rankings are like by who Todd McShay. And like, I get it. Like they are. Hyper, Jeremiah. We are. Yeah. But teams draft boards don't mirror those guys draft boards. Like, Everyone's got their own set of rankings. Uh, you know, one guy liked Neil much better than Aquanu. One guy liked Aquanu better than Neil. One guy liked Charles Cross as the best. The teams have their own rankings. So I also hate like to say like, oh, they reached, even though I'm going to make a complaint about our second round receiver, but I'm basing that on like rankings that are not the Giants rankings. Like they don't think they reached. So well, I'm going to be mad that, they reached according to an ESPN article that I read. I, it's it's uh it's it's kind of it's a hard <laughs> thing to. I try not to get mad at, at draft picks. Honestly, I care more about the position they draft over the player, um, because I I as you know, we don't watch college football, so what do we know? Well, yeah, of course, and and all this is like meaningless. So, like when a buddy of mine, you know. Met, Giants fan, friend of the program, Max Klein, is all excited, right? And he, he sends me this clip of Dan Orlovsky on ESPN saying that this is the best thing to happen to the Giants in the draft since 1981. And I just look at him like, we don't know anything yet, right? They haven't even played a game yet. I mean, they got Eli Manning in 2003 in the 2000, 2003 draft or 2004 draft? 2004 draft. 
and he won two Super Bowl MVPs. Like, what are we talking about here? I just, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, only... I, I mean, that's, that's, that's not a, I mean, it's an assertion that uh, cannot be proven one way or the other anytime soon. So it's kind of pointless to say. I would say, you know, when they drafted Beckham in 2014, no one thought it was this like amazing pick. And over the next four or five years, it was the best pick the Giants had had in my lifetime. Now, did it end up meaning anything? Really? No. But to say this is like the best, it, it's the obvious, like, there's no, uh, can't like grade a draft the night the draft happens. Half of these guys right. literally are going to be busts. So did it play out well? Sure. Why? I don't know. Like that should be enough of like an assessment, like based on how it played out, this went really well for the giants. We think obviously TBD on if these guys are good or not. So let me ask you this. Uh, one last thing about, you know, the draft high level, you know, Trayvon Walker was a little bit of a surprise at one, you know, a, a lot of guys had him ranked like, you know, 10th, 11th. Like, it's weird that he went one. Like, could you have seen a scenario where if Sauce Gardner is really considered the best player in the draft, that in the next five years, that because he's a corner, he can go one? Um, hard to see a corner ever going one. Uh, this was the first time ever that corners went twice in the top five, top four. Well, this is also, um, also a year not, that the quarterback class was bad. Right, right. I I mean, hard hard to really imagine a cornerback ever being the first pick in the draft. I guess in the history, and you know, in the future history of the world, it's possible. Uh, I, that's just hard for me to see. I do think it would have been interesting if the Jets had taken – I think the Giants were very high on sauce. And I believe their ideal outcome was Sauce and Neal. And once the Jets took Sauce at four, they pivoted to Thibodeau, who they also obviously had very highly ranked. They, they did more research on him than any team had done on him. Uh, met with him multiple, multiple times. Um, but we'll never know. Let's say if the Jets had drafted Iquanu, what then do the Giants do at five? Do they lock in Neal? and know that they'll get Thibodeau or Sauce. Let's say the Jets had drafted Thibodeau. Do the Giants draft Neal and then know that they're going to lose, probably not get Sauce at seven? Do they draft Sauce at five and risk not getting Neal at seven? That, I think, would have been the interesting scenario. If the Jets had drafted Neal at four, what would the Giants have done? Or, uh, sorry, Thibodeau at four. What would have I happened? Think they, I think now? they would have taken Sauce Gardner and then gotten the tackle seven. Right. Well, okay. So I, that's what I meant. If the Jets, right. So if the Jets had taken a Quanu at four, that's what I should have said. Then oh, what? How would that play out? I I think because now they, you're risking. Yeah. I I think they would have taken Sauce and then hoped, and then taken Carolina would have taken Neil at six. Like I'm I'm pretty confident. Yeah. Then and then they would have just gotten two premier positions. Like they would have done something. And not else. have taken O line. I think they would have gotten Neil at five, and taken whoever was left between Sauce and Thibodeau at seven. I think that's what would have happened. Um, but we'll never know. We'll never know. Okay, so the rest of the Giants draft, I, I kind of like tune out. So I I trust your judgment on this. How do you think it went overall after the first day? Uh I mean, this is where I get into like. 
I had I've never heard of any of the players the Giants had drafted after the first round. So I hate I would hate to give an assessment based on the positions they needed, which were all positions aside from kicker. Um, you know, they filled those positions. They drafted O line, they drafted defensive tackle, they drafted a safety, another linebacker, and a receiver and a tight end, all of which they needed. Um, the consensus, you know, rankings were that the Giants in the rounds two and three drafted people too early. Um, when I saw that they, who they drafted in the second round, this Wendell Robinson, who's five foot eight, I will say without knowing anything about him, aside from his size, I was not the biggest fan. Um, I'm not a fan of, of diminutive receivers being drafted that high. I just think that there's a lot of smaller, fast receivers that you can get throughout the draft. Um, they obviously already have a guy in Tony who is tall, a little taller, he's six feet, but like basically a very similar skill set. And it made me nervous, honestly, that it's like, I don't want this to be a Tony contingency plan that they're going to trade him or whatever. Um, so I thought they would get maybe a bigger receiver, uh, a cornerback in round two, one of the higher rated corners. Uh, I will say two things, though, about round two is that they traded back twice, which I love. They traded from 36 to 38 and then from 38 to 43 and picked up a fourth and fifth round pick uh, in the process. I would do that every time. The downside to that, which is what happened, is that in between 38 and 43, two cornerbacks went off the board and... I will wonder if the Giants wanted to draft one of those corners since that is uh, a huge need for them. Um, so that's the risk you take when you trade down. Now they then drafted a cornerback in the third round. So maybe, you know, not all hope is lost. Um, but I'm just wanted to make that point. Trade downs, two trade downs in round two, more than Gettleman has done in his entire, had done in his entire career. Always on board for that. Uh, I'm all about process over results. So even if these picks don't turn out well, I'm always going to be in favor of trading down for more picks. Uh, well, but we'll see if those cornerbacks they they ended up missing out on turn out to be good players, and our guy is you know the next Sonaris Moss, then that will not have turned out well. Yeah, and I'm okay with them not spending a lot of resources right now on skill position players because let's just face it, like. Daniel Jones is probably going to be off the team. Um, Kenny Galladay will be off the team next year. And you're just starting from scratch anyway with the new quarterback. So none of this is going to mean anything. Yeah. Um, right. So that's why I said receiver could be a dark, could have been a dark horse in the first round because. Well, yeah. If like they were now, able to get a guy like Jamison Williams, who could have yeah. easily gone top five like i'm okay with that so i mean just you might think like what what they have so many receivers but you fast forward to next year and it's very plausible that galladay is cut shepherd he's in this final year now tony who knows honestly like if he has a repeat year or he you know does some crazy shit which is definitely possible because he seems to be a crazy guy like who knows they didn't draft him like maybe he gets traded um, Darius Slayton, honestly, might not even make the team next year. But anyway, a guy like Slayton shouldn't affect your draft plans at all. So now you're looking at 2023 and 
there's no Galladay, there's no Shepard, there's no Tony, there's no Slayton. Like, you have nobody. And from that standpoint, you know, I, that's why I would not have been shocked. You're obviously – you're never drafting just for this season. You're always kind of looking ahead. So that's why I thought that could have been a dark horse pick. Um, but we'll see. I just don't – you know, the guys now for this season, he's coming in, you know, at best fourth on the depth chart, um, who's a slot receiver where Shepard and Tony both play. I'm just not sure you're going to get uh, a lot of immediate dividends from him this year. Of course, Shepard gets injured every year. Galladay's been injured. Tony, who knows? Um, so maybe he'll end up playing more than, than you think. But as it stands at the, at the time of the draft, it doesn't seem like he has a clear path to playing time as a rookie. Oh, always good to draft a second round pick who doesn't have a clear path. Yeah, to so that, that, that's, my, uh, that's my complaint, especially picking high in the second round. You would hope that he would be someone who could slide in as a starter, which a cornerback would have done. Um, I guess a safety could have, um, you know, but uh, this receiver pro- uh, doesn't seem like. Yeah. It, the bottom line is it's going to take this current regime at least two drafts to undo all the things that the Gettleman regime did. And, right. and it, 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 I don't want to say it doesn't matter. So, cause you're just going to be, you're going to be building for two years anyway, at least. So you might as well just just take the best players available. All right, moving on to the Jets. A lot of people love what the Jets did, right? They got they got the uh, arguably the highest rated corner at four in Sauce Gardner. They were able to get uh, a wide receiver at ten. They were able to then get a um, that kid Jermaine Johnson, the defensive end from the from Florida State when they traded back into this first round at 26, who they had as a top 10 talent. So Jets fans should be pretty excited. No? I thought the Jets crushed round one. Um, Just the way it played out, they took Sauce at four. Um, My opinion, I mean, again, what do I know? In my opinion, the best cornerback. Um, They took Garrett Wilson at 10. I don't know if he's the best, but he was the first one drafted, if, I, if I'm correct. No, what's so his name? He was drafted 8 to um, – Oh, uh, Detroit? No, to, to, to the Falcons. Uh, the kid out of oh, USC. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're Drake right, London. Right, I forget. Right, okay, I forgot his name. Um, okay, but arguably the best receiver, arguably the best cornerback. And then Jermaine Johnson, again, I'm just going to say it every time, like obviously never watched him play in college. But in the numerous mock drafts I had read, especially nearing the draft, I had seen him mocked to the Jets even at four or ten. And we don't really know why he slipped. I don't don't know if something came out. But as he's just slipping and slipping, and this is what you you should do if you're the Jets, you have a plethora of draft picks. There's a guy that you like at a position you need who is slipping for whatever reason. Use your war chest of picks and get that guy, which they did. Um, like they still picked 38. They still had the sixth pick in the second round, even after trade. So to get three guys in the first round who in many, if not most mocks, were all going top 10. I I you know there's no other way to say it besides that they crushed round one. Obviously, we'll see you know how these guys pan out, but I, you know. 
And again, I don't know what they, I guess they got Brees Hall in round two, who was the first running back drafted. So, you know, you're walking out of rounds one and two with potentially the best corner, best receiver, um, you know, one of the better pass rushers and the best running back. That is a lot of improvement for your team with four picks. So I think Jets fans should be excited. Um, it all comes down to Zach Wilson, as we all know. If he's not good, the Jets won't be good. If he is good, they'll have a chance to be good. You can see a scenario where the Jets are better than the Patriots this year. I can see a scenario. Um, yeah, I think I it's a long expect... shot, but I, I, I think yeah. you can see the scenario. I mean, there's just a... There's a, I mean, Mac Jones also could improve and should improve on his rookie year. Um, so, yeah, the scenario is Mac Jones maybe is closer to his ceiling already, and Zach Wilson has uh, this huge year-two leap. And, um, you know, they have got uh, Carl Lawson back and the new draft picks, and Elijah Moore plays more, and there's a Corey Davis, and, you know, their O-line is a little better. Um, they, I mean – now you saw Miami and you obviously have Buffalo. So I'm not, I don't think they're competing for a division, but right. they could be better than New England. Shout out to New England for a second. And, and the genius that is Bill Belichick uh, for taking a 24-year-old in round one who most people had as a third, fourth rounder. Uh, so kudos to him for nailing his draft pick again, uh, because for all the genius that he is, he continues to fuck up the draft year in and year out for the better part of seven years. But eh, he's a he's a genius and and his record without Tom Brady sucks. Anyway, I just had to make fun of Bill Belichick before I let you go. Um, switching to basketball for a second. You and I are in a ridiculous WhatsApp group chat that talks about the NBA all the time. Uh, I wanted to ask your opinion on Luka Doncic and the Mavericks. Now, obviously, Luka is great, uh, but I, I have said over, you know, the, la the last couple of weeks uh, and months that I'm not really sure that playing Luka ball this way is ever going to result in, you know, the Mavericks going further than where they are now. Where are you at with Luca and his playing style and, you know, him, him being so ball dominant and that being the key to the Mavericks' success? So I was going to ask you to clarify what this style means. And um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you're referring to just one player on a team that has all of the usage rate, essentially. Yeah, that's exactly um, it. I think two things. There's no denying he is an incredible player, and it would not surprise me one bit if we get to a period of time over a several-year stretch where he is the best player in the NBA. I think he has that ceiling. I wouldn't. I wouldn't part, disagree with that. The other. So the aspect of the of the usage rate is. Is it his style because that is his style or is that his style out of necessity because of who his teammates are? Now, we know Jalen Brunson is a really good player. He's probably going to cash in on, in free agency, and hopefully that's with the Knicks. Uh, Dinwiddie, he's good. I actually like Dinwiddie. Um, Hasn't had a like, good playoffs for the most part. No. And then, like, who else is on the Maverick? Like, Kleber, Powell. 
Uh, well, they're finishers. They're, they're not creators, but they do have right. Jalen Brunson and Dimwitty, who in theory could be, you know, more involved in, you know, creating offense and initiating offense, where it doesn't no, have really- to be Luca dribbling at the top of the key for eight, nine seconds before anything happens and everybody just standing around. Yeah, um, I feel like, I'm, um, you know, I bring everything back to football. It kind of feels like, you know, the Saints had Breeze and they would like take him out randomly and put in Taysom Hill. And they're like, why are you taking out Drew Breeze to put in Taysom Hill? So if you're the Mavericks, you have Luka. Are you trying to design plays where Brunson is the main ball handler on a possession? Like, why wouldn't you want it to be Luka? He's 10 times better than anyone else on the match. Well, because I just, basketball is different in a sense where you want all the guys to feel involved that they're not cold when they're just standing around waiting for a pass to just put up a three. You want yeah, them studying. So, you want them screening. You want them touching the ball to feel like they're involved. Right. Um, yeah, I, but then so let's say, so Jalen Brunson's running the play, and, and then, like, what he's still – who are his options to distribute the ball to? It's the same – yeah, the ball ends up going to go back to Luka anyway. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's the kind of thing where maybe the I, – I don't think the Mavericks are very good. I think they're kind of similar to Denver where it's, like, Jokic and, like, I don't know, like, Brunson, Brunson might be the – is he the best player on either of those teams outside of Luka and Jokic? Uh, I mean, when Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are are hurt, yeah, sure, no question. So it's it's the kind of thing where, like, the Mavericks aren't going to go far anyway, even though they're now in round two, uh, and I don't think they were favored to win that series. But, like, they're not going to get to the conference finals with this lineup. And if they do, then your entire argument about Luka is moot because it will mean he's he's doing what you're saying. It's – like when you say not successful, you're saying titles or you know any playoff success because that's also a little unfair. Like if the Mavericks somehow got to the Western Conference Finals, I would put Luca in the Hall of Fame immediately. So I don't know if you can even make the case that it's like it's not working because I think given the talent level on the Mavs, they're they're reaching the ceiling of what their talent level allows them to. I just think you you get to a point where like. Like James Harden never won playing Harden ball, right? He never won that way. You know, Kobe Bryant didn't win titles playing playing that way. Jordan didn't win titles playing that way. And at, I think it's it's some of it's on Luca because that's the way he likes to play. And I think that in today's NBA, coaches are so worried about getting you know. You know, upsetting their their top player, especially somebody as good as him. But I I just find it weird that like a Jason Kidd led team for a guy who was as inclusive a basketball player as Jason Kidd was, that this is the offense that they run. Now again, it may be out of necessity, but a little cutting, a little movement without the ball, like something. It's just so yeah. stagnant. I mean, I'll, I'll defer to you. I will honestly tell you, I literally did not watch one second of the Mavs Jazz series, uh, given just being in Florida and 
a lot of it being over uh, Passover and just was with family and, and it's the late games. I did not watch any of it. So I don't even have uh, good evidence to, to kind of argue your theory with. All right. Well, then that's, then that's that. So, but I'll still say I'm right and you're wrong. Love it. I absolutely love it. All right, Shai, I know you got to run, but uh, thanks so much for doing it. I know we're playing hurt, but we uh, we make it work because we're, we're pros. And um, we'll we'll speak soon. Uh, we, the Giants, we're going to have to do a Giants preview uh, pretty soon. Maybe we'll uh, be able to include some some higher profile Giants guests. And uh, I can get you on with that. As I, as I mentioned to you in confidence uh, over last this past weekend. Yes. Um, I just did you um, disclose to your listeners that you wore um, Jordan 11s to a black tie wedding? I think anybody who follows me on Instagram knew that that's what they do on the red carpet. So if that's what they do on the red carpet to black tie affairs, I figured I can do it too. Fair enough. There it is. Shai, good to see you this weekend. Thanks so much for doing it. I'll speak to you soon, bud. All right. See ya. Thanks again to my guests this evening, Josh Fisher, Shai Elberger, for coming on, sharing their thoughts about the NFL draft, about some NBA stuff. Kudos to Shai for being honest about how much NBA he's watched recently, not cheating the listeners. That's episode 155 for the love of the game. Take us out 50 cents. In the hood, they love us. Stop a bone, not your some brand new chuckers. What up, blood? What up, cuz? What up, blood? 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 What up, Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.